Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How you doing, man? I'm tired. Welcome back from Brazil. <laughs> I, I flew in overnight and I haven't gotten enough sleep, so apologies. Boy, your arm's <laughs> tired. My arms are tired. But let's get going here. Um, and I guess there's two ways to jump into this. One is to jump in on the data and the other is to jump in on the central bank signals. Uh, but let's start on the data side, which is an interesting week, of course, because we're we're getting a mix of um, some pretty ugly signals coming out of China, uh, some pretty weak news coming out of the global PMI manufacturing survey, and some pretty comforting news coming out of what we're seeing in uh, the Euro area and the US. Um, and you know the question is, how do we want to put that together in terms of telling the global story? So let me give you that um, platform. So I, I I think it's kind of hard to to pull all these together, really. I mean, you know, you obviously, as you pointed out, the 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 news on global industry is is ugly. We've been looking for global industry to to contract here into the fourth quarter. Maybe that spills into the first quarter. Uh, the PMIs have been deteriorating for a number of months now. The, they were ugly in October and they got even worse in in November. The output index is now tracking something that you tend to see only around recessions. Uh, similarly, the forward-looking indicators, orders are looking even weaker, levels that you tend to see in recession. Inventory indexes, also buildings, uh, you know, which should be a headwind as you go forward. Uh, so every which way you look at the, the business surveys, they are showing kind of concerning signals for the good sector. If we're right, global GDP is decelerating to a soft patch here, so we shouldn't be too surprised. But if we're right, we're going to need the service sector kind of pick up the slack. Next week's PMIs on that front will be uh, important to watch, although I'll say October's service sector PMIs were not really great either. So we're could not Joe, could I just jump, jump in here because I, I want to be a little bit, I think I want to, I don't want to disagree with your point that service sector activity has to provide a cushion and that the manufacturing sector is going to be weak. But I also want to emphasize that what I think we're seeing in the data in terms of business spending uh, and in terms of consumer spending on goods is an acceleration in the fourth quarter in the U.S. and Western Europe. And oh, that totally is not agree, going to bail, that's not going to bail you out for the fourth quarter manufacturing sector, but that's going to be an important impulse if we're going to keep this expansion going on a more lasting basis, because that is the recipe for starting to get um, the manufacturing sector weakness uh, uh, contained. It's also, I think the signal, and, and this is probably the more important message I would take from the week, is the signal that we're not having anything like a breaking going on uh, either in the US or in Western Europe, which obviously is a more surprising development given the, the pressures that are continuing to be uh, put on the on the region uh, in terms of sentiment, in terms of the high inflation, that's not been breaking yet, um, notwithstanding the November flash euro air number coming off. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that, Bruce, but that's not the message you're getting from the surveys. I, I think what you're you're kind of jumping ahead to where I, I, I would have naturally gone is to say that you're right. The hard activity data, which admittedly are lagging, right? We really only have activity data through September, October. These surveys are for November. If you would believe the story you tell, and I want to believe that as well, then you should see the surveys telling you that inventories are being drawn down rapidly, 
right? Because you have a view that demand is holding up, but production's going to get hit. That's going to pull back GDP. But hey, things are pretty good here because demand is holding up. Well, the surveys don't tell you that's what's happening at all, right? Inventories are building rapidly. Orders are falling rapidly. Now, I'm not saying I necessarily put 100% faith in the surveys, uh, but they are what they are, and there are PMIs, and we tend to usually watch them. So it's a concerning message, and it should be a concerning message. I think- But if you the took the PMIs at face value, the service sector is as weak as the manufacturing sector. There's nothing- well, That's what I said up front, which is I don't take a lot of, it's a little concerning that the services are still weak. So yeah, there's no doubt that the surveys in general are at odds with our forecast. Now we can point to we can point to this activity spending data, which is holding up better. Again, lagging. I think I'm sure we'll we'll get to talking about the other thing you can point to is the fact that you know it's in Europe the surveys actually are doing a bit better than our forecast, where I would say it's adding upside risk. We're looking for a recession in Europe. The surveys actually moved up a little bit and are pointing to maybe only, quote unquote, only a stall in activity there. But that would be a big upward revision. So that's a positive. And then in the US, where obviously the surveys really look ugly, that's where I think you do have some more cutting edge data. And of course, this today's payrolls report are a reminder that things, I think you're correctly pointing out, aren't breaking in any material way. In fact, probably not even breaking enough to get the Fed comfortable, right? And we'll, we'll talk about central banks in a second. So it's a, it's a mix of things. I think China is in every which way a concerning negative story. I don't see anything positive coming out of China right now. Uh, I think Europe, things are looking better than our downbeat expectations. And I think U.S. is is puzzling. But I, I, on net, I think uh, you're, you're right to point out, it's probably pointing to upside risk uh, to our forecast of a kind of modest 1.5% growth. Yeah. So, I mean, I, to me, the message is not in any way, shape or form strength. But I think in the context of significant concerns that people have been having, um, that we might be slipping into recession as we turn into the new year. I think that story uh, loses power when you see what the, not just the US business sector is doing in terms of a quarter in which we're still averaging well over 200,000 a month on jobs, um, but also um, in terms of the CapEx readings in the US, which uh, according to our forecast right now uh, on equipment spending is tracking over a 10% gain this quarter. And the European and our global data capex where, is still tracking close to five percent annualized. I mean, it's been like bulletproof through this global downshift all pretty much all year. And then you have the European labor market data, which has been—it's only data through October, but they hit a a, a record low on the unemployment rate at six five, with uh, another drop in unemployment. So, you know, it's not like I want to add this up and say we're going to have strength, but I'm also very comfortable with the view that we're not on the verge of breaking down here. Um, and that, you know, that gets us to, I think, um, the next issue, which is if we're not breaking down here, what, a, what is the reaction function that central banks are going to deliver? Some of that has to do with what they're seeing on the inflation side. And we did have good news on October inflation in the US and, and the November flash for the, for the euro area. And we had actually some dovish comments coming from Chair Powell in his speech this week. Um, so let's turn to that and, and ask the question, what's the central bank play here as we look over towards the next uh, meeting in, in the next couple of weeks for 
most of the G4 central banks and then, um, you know, even looking into the uh, first quarter of next year. I, I think if you were to look at the, the news this week, you'd say, you know, or in the past couple of weeks here is that the inflation, we're past the peak on inflation. Inflation's coming down. We've had some downside surprises in U.S. and Europe now. Uh, however, inflation is still elevated. It's going to be enough to get central banks to kind of, you know, start to look to to pivot to a slower pace of hikes. Uh, but the fact that the growth numbers are still kind of showing this resilience, I think, should be a reminder that the high for long scenario, which is our baseline, is is definitely the right place to be at this point. The markets seem to get a little bit ahead of itself yet again, like it did earlier this summer, thinking that cuts could be coming. Uh, the you know the, the move back down and rates could be coming a, a bit earlier. And I think today's payroll report, combined with a lot of the the material we discussed earlier about some of the resilience in the U.S. Um, uh, that you know, th this high for long scenario is the is the right one uh, to to be tracking here. I would say, I mean, you you kind of said, um, you know, the dovish uh, statements by by Powell. I I think it definitely was interpreted as dovish. I think we can debate that how uh, you know by talking about getting near the terminal rate that maybe that took out some optionality of higher rates. That that. I view that more as a mistake. I don't think that was intended. I actually think that's going to get cleaned up at the press conference. I, I think we should look for a more hawkish uh, press conference to clean up that that mis misstatement in this week's speech. But that's that's my own reading of things. I think it's probably consistent with your view uh, as as well. Yeah, I'm just not sure how much we want to. I mean, it might it may have been a misstatement, but the market did respond to it. Um, and I think you have with the a payroll report which not only has still strong job growth um, but has some pretty rapid gains in wages at a time the fed thought that wage gains were decelerating i think it, it the, at the minimum what it's got to do is give the fed caution in terms of giving any guidance as to the ceiling here uh, or the timing of a pause and i think that's what the market's been getting hopeful of is that we're getting close to a pause so whether it's a mistake or a recalibration of message off the data, we can debate that. But either way, I do think we're going to, to see a slightly different signal from the Fed as we go to the um, December meeting, where I think the, the terminal rate from the SCP is probably going to go above five. And the Powell comments are not going to give that same same type of signal as he gave this week. Do you think, do, uh, do, do you agree that he's going to put the optionality back in, essentially saying like, hey, we could go, we could go above five if we have to. That's the, that's the, tail that he kind of trimmed in these comments in an uh, oddly right so you think he puts that back in exactly i mean i think i think he in, in addition to to reinforcing the case for moderation uh and for an eventual pause i think what he did this week is actually he kind of uh limited the ceiling on where they they might go and i think that was a whether it was a mistake or or not i think that's where he has to recalibrate as we go to the to the meeting I think the other side of this is also the ECB, which is if you take what you were saying a few minutes ago, and we're doing no worse than flat on GDP here, uh, with the idea that the fourth quarter uh, will be the the, the 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 dominant downward momentum uh, slide, and that if we're bottoming somewhere towards the end of the year, we're probably going to be picking up as we go through the first quarter, um, then it's hard for the ECB, I think, uh, to talk about any kind of pause, given that... Um, you know, it's well. It's, let me it's ask you: Do you think? Get... Do you think that 
there's the risks are actually we have a forecast of 100 basis points more for both the fed and the ecb um i would argue yeah, two, I'm and half, two and a half and five for them respe respectively exactly do i would feel like the odds of the the risks of the ecb having to do more are, are greater at this point and being reinforced by some of the the hawkish language that you got from schnabel uh, i guess a week or so, so ago and then lagarde this week who seemed to pour cold water on the on the the dip down in in inflation right she, she says she thinks we're not past the peak on inflation all of that coupled with the the unemployment rate dipping to a new low um that that all came across as is quite hawkish and maybe 75 is still in the cards here in a world where you're right the level of rates are still pretty darn low i'm probably less inclined towards thinking they go 75 but i'm i'm with you on the idea that uh, there's more upside as the market is pricing uh to the to where the ecb gets to to the fed but i i would kind of reinforce the message that uh, an ecb peak, peak somewhere close to three and a fed peak somewhere close to five the risks on both are to the uh to the upside um so i i think the story on the ecb is going to be you know if you're moving towards two and a half and the economy is picking up in the first half of next year what's the case for stopping it's hard to see it um and and the fed case is if you don't get the cooling in the labor market that you need alongside the fall in inflation you know, it's hard to say you've done done enough that you can you can pause, especially if wages are part of that issue on the labor market side. But we'll see. There's a lot of I, I think one thing we should recognize is that there is guidance and risk management that's going to be shifting here. But the ultimate story on the data is going to play out uh, over the next three or four months. So that's a lot of data. There's a lot of things going on. And when you come back to what you're saying up front. There are huge cross currents playing out in the global economy right now, and we should be open to being surprised in in both direction on what we see. I mean, I'm I'm comfortable that we're not sliding into recession, but could we come in next month and have a hundred thousand or sub hundred thousand on payroll growth? Yeah, sure. Why not? It's not not un, would not be too surprising in a world in which uh, margins are compressing. Um, there are, um, I think, uh, you know. Oh, I think yeah, you uh, could have contraction weakness. payrolls next month. I mean, I, is that our baseline? No, but I, I, I'm maybe I'm a little more open-minded to that, even though our baseline and I've been forcefully talking the resilience point, but something, something could clearly, clearly break here in a world where we've seen kind of financial conditions tighten quite significantly. Sentiment is at kind of recession lows and some of this industry stuff is a little alarming on the survey side. I, I do think that on the Fed, risks are probably I, you say risks are still to the upside. I think this is where you and I maybe differ a little bit. I would say they're probably more balanced just because I, I, I see a little more weight on that soft landing scenario that's still so out there. So you put an equal weight on 450 and 550 for a point at which the Fed pauses? Oh, the point at which they pause? Oh, I thought we were talking about the, I think they're going to pause at five and then whether they restart again. No, but because, what, when you say risks, risks are balanced, what do you mean? What's so, balanced? So risk, we have a, we have a baseline risk. that Fed pauses at five and there's a risk that they restart hiking again, right? That's your kind of, uh, I forget what you call it. Pause or is that not they don't enough. pause. Or they don't pause. Enough. Right. Or they don't pause. Um, yeah, I mean, look. Let's let, let me just point out one thing. So the Another other side of that of, would be that they don't go as far, right? right? That's the downside. Yeah, yeah. So is what's is the risk of four fifty and five fifty equal here? Uh, I can see four fifty 
Yeah, yeah, equal. I don't know about um maybe maybe not, Bruce, but I, I just think I'm less than you. All I hear you ever talking over the week is that they're gonna do more, they're gonna do more, they're gonna do more. And believe me, as as I hope viewers know, you and I have been on the you're side getting, of the picture. You're for just the past getting two tired years. of listening to me. You just say you're getting tired of listening exactly. to me. Exactly. No, but but I saying. do think I keep wanting to make this point. We did get another piece of data that I thought was very interesting this week, which is job openings kind of fell back down again. And it's worth noting that the vacancy vacancies are down one and over one and a half million. And that's kind of, I think, kind of a 12 to 13% decline in a world where the hawkish kind of wing of the camp, say call it the Summers or the Muhammad El Aryans of the world, are saying that you can only ever see that movement along the beverage curve with a large rise in the unemployment rate to get vacancies down. Well, we just had a monster decline in vacancies and the unemployment rate is actually a bit lower, right? So I, I don't- A bit higher. A bit higher. It, okay, well, uh, well- The we'll, unemployment we'll rate is a bit higher. Three, 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 five, three, three, six seven. versus three, seven. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I would, yeah, let's just lower. call it move sideways in a world where you had a big fall in, in vacancies and that wasn't supposed but to Joe, happen. Here's the point I would make. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to push the summer's point here. What I'm trying to make the point is you're going to get a pretty decent deceleration in inflation. And I'm, I'm comfortable with getting a pretty decent deceleration in, in, in wage inflation over the next year. Um, uh, and I'm comfortable with getting the the job openings down. What I'm trying to suggest to you is even if you took the the um, uh, the job opening story, if you took the Waller view and you get the job openings to move down uh, by themselves, I don't think that gets you the inflation decline you need. I don't think that's going to drive inflation all the way back down. It's going to be part of the story. That contributes to a partial, but right. Not but here's the other inflation. here's the other part of the story. And again, I'm just talking the kind of dovish camp. I think you and I actually aren't that that far apart. But I think it's it's funny to hear everyone talk about like how much we know about inflation. Like we know the models, and the models are saying this, and you can't get inflation down without this happening. I mean, two years ago, we were saying we don't know anything about inflation. The Phillips curve is dead. And now we're slavishly wedded to these types of models. Like, that's the only way that we can get inflation down. Like, I guess I'm still somewhat agnostic. No, about but that's not the right way to think about it, Joe. The right way to think about it, forget about the Phillips curve per se. The right way to think about it is something has changed. If something has changed, then inflation is going to be higher. So then what is, you know, you could say that, some miracle that's going to happen to bring it down. But if not, you have to believe that one thing Why that hasn't changed. Why isn't it a miracle it, to say it stays up? Because I can see things that have changed. I can see how people have left the workforce. I can see how population growth is slower. I can see how uh, short-term inflation expectations are higher. But I can, can see how see... wage inflation is higher. Right. So All I can see things that change. These vacancy rates that are higher, that there's a high kind so you of wanna, churn. You want to argue that the entirety of the wage inflation story, the entirety of the labor market tightening is something that is temporary and is going to unwind? I don't believe that. I think some of it is, but I don't think all of it is. And as long as I don't think all of it is, then I don't think inflation is going to come all the way down, even though it could overshoot. Obviously, the dollar's up. Bruce, this is a calibration exercise. Are you telling me that? 200 basis points above neutral isn't enough to deal with that, is it? I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe as it isn't. But I'm not saying they should get rates back to neutral, right? Rates are still going to be very tight. 
what's neutral? Here's another issue. Yeah, you're I right. I don't know where neutral is. I think the world is much healthier on the private sector side. So the, the same perception of what neutral was five years ago has shifted in a material way. But in the end of the day, that's that's a I will give you. Well, I can tell you we are you seeing a, that a 7% on mortgage rates is doing a lot of damage right now. I will give you, I will give you that if a 5% Fed policy rate employment rate up to 5%, then you're going to get a decent amount of disinflation off of that. What I'm saying is if it doesn't do that, if it doesn't push the unemployment rate up Wait, there, but you're, you're not going to get the disinflation the curve. No, I'm not. Well, well I'm, I'm coming back to the Phillips curve to go in, the follow, in the following sense. Sessions disinflation. Tell me that means I'm going back to a, a Phillips curve relationship, then fine. Recessions cause disinflation. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And you're saying the only way to get inflation down is with the recession. No, I'm saying that it's most likely the case that to get inflation all the way back down, you're going to need more than just patience and time. You're going to need to see a, a recession of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, all that's I'm saying. The, right. That, that's the the. the camp that there's there's no kind of transitory forces or i no, I know that's a camp you. that's no 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 you're now you're painting me in a corner i'm that's why i said 75 percent 75 percent of the inflation decline happens because of transitory forces. i'm just right. saying it's not all transitory forces right. there's other things that have changed and if we go from three seven on the unemployment rate up to four five on the unemployment rate that could be enough to get you the rest of the 25 percent down how do you get from three seven to four five? Well, we're just slow slow growth. We've got we got below potential growth this year and next year, right? That'll be the longest stretch of below potential growth without a recession in I don't know how long. But we're we're slowing things down. Okay, yeah. If you you could you could I still think that's yeah. Rough. I mean, this is all for the sake of the viewers. Bruce, you and I are not different. I'm just I I I'm just taking the other side of this. I I I generally agree with our baseline. I exactly. We like to argue. I, I like our baseline. I just see the risk. Remember, this all started with me saying, you know, you said, oh, I think the risks are only to the upside. I said, well, I think risks are balanced because I can see the other side of the story here. All right. I think we've um, we've done enough. We can Damage. continue the argument off <laughs> offline. And uh, I guess thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope that you'll have the patience to continue to listen to us next week on JP Morgan TV.